Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I have the most amazing guest with me, Keith Uther. Thank you, Keith, so much for being here today with me. This is awesome. I look forward to it. I'm excited for it. Way more fun when somebody's here with me. That's <laughs> okay. right. Wow. And you uh, said you got some, you got, might have some surprises for me. So I always love surprises. Excellent. So do we. Awesome. So give us a 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you do. Well, so I am a mortgage broker, so I'm an independent mortgage specialist that works with multiple lenders for clients across Canada to help them with financing purchases, refinancing, Smith Maneuver. I am a Smith Maneuver certified professional, so I help people with setting up the Smith Maneuver so they can convert their mortgage from non-tax deductible debt to a tax deductible debt. And I work with many real estate investors who also are looking to build future wealth. So, but for me, any client I work with, it's about helping them to see and understand how their mortgage is part of creating a financial life by design rather than one by accident. And so that's such a critical um, part of everything I do for me, because my personal vision is everyone is living a life of abundance. And so I want to fulfill that every day. Nice. I love that. And we will totally get into the Smith Maneuver and a whole ton of other acronyms that mortgage brokers use that nobody else knows what they mean, because <laughs> that's just fun and entertaining. That's why we're here. Right. That's right. So exactly. let's give it a little bit of background. How did you get into this? Boy, well, you know what? It really, it, it kind of all started like my whole learning and understanding of the financial industry or the mortgage industry began when we my wife and I purchased our first investment property back in 2003 and then progressed doing a, you know, we did a flip property. Then we bought, started buying our buy and hold properties and I really enjoyed it and was in a job um, at that time that was paying me a salary. And, and that's what I did at that time. And I knew that there was something bigger and something more out there for me. And when I met a coach that I still get coached by to this day, um, you know, he helped give me the guidance and understanding of what maybe more could look like for me. And so I changed, I changed jobs and was with a private lender as a junior underwriter. Um, downturn in the market happened. Unfortunately, I was let go. And that's when I got introduced to a couple of um, people that had been that were friends of my coach, actually, and, and had been in the mortgage industry as brokers for many years. And I connected uh, with I connected with both of them. One of them happened to be local here in Calgary, and that's when I made the move. And that was over five and a half years ago now. Nice, man. You say, unfortunately, but more often than not, I know that getting fired from jobs has been a fortunate yeah. for a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. You know exactly, and you know it was it it was unfortunate because it was a surprise. Um, right. Fortunate in that it has accelerated me to be where I am today, and out you know. I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today had that not happened because it pushed my limits. Right. So talk to me a bit about um, who you love to work with. Who's your ideal client? Oh, boy. So I, you know, for me, the ideal client is the one that can qualify for a mortgage. 
but who can qualify for a mortgage? Well, just about anybody can qualify for a mortgage if they have an open mind as to what that might look like for them. You know, I work with A lenders, I work with B lenders, and I work with private lenders. And depending on a person's individual situation, there's one of those three categories that they fit into. Under, with the understanding of what it is. You know, I, I work with a lot of business for self people. Well, they do things when they file taxes and stuff. And a lot of times they're business for self because they're trying to lower tax implications, which means they declare less income. Well, that also means they fit into a different segment of lending. And so we have to figure out what works for them because there's a balance between how much tax you pay and what you have to pay for an interest rate. One's tax deductible, one's not. So, you know, those are things we talk about in business for self people. Then there's first-time home buyers, you know, and, and understanding and helping and working with first-time home buyers. And sometimes those first-time home buyers, they're buying with this is our first property, but we want to build an investment portfolio. So, you know, I work with a lot of real estate investors in from you know their grassroots buying their first property to those that have already built a portfolio and are stuck. They they they're stuck on lending and, and then trying to figure out how can we continue to buy. So is there a, you know, a little specific client that works? Well, not, all, not always, because unfortunately not everyone can get a mortgage with our mortgage rules and stuff. Really what the best client is one that's got an open mind and wants to learn what I know and work with me because of what I know and what I'm going to be able to do for them. Not as someone who they see as just, a button and pencil pusher that just throws in throws it in and sends it off without getting to understand the client because it's a long term mortgage is a long term commitment and understanding not just what's happening today but what's going to happen over the next 3 5 10 years for you and your family that could impact what choice and decision you make today and that's where a lot of people don't know or understand or other brokers or banks they don't ask that question and, and they miss that and then all of a sudden that's when they come to me in three years and go um yeah uh, my kids decided to go to university and we kind of knew uh, uh, on the other side of the country we kind of knew that might happen um and we can work remotely so we'd like to move but we just found out we have a thirty thousand dollar payout penalty on our mortgage um and we weren't didn't understand the implications of that when we got our mortgage. Uh, what can we do? Right. I was going to say in that in that whole thing, you only spoke for about three minutes, but you dropped about twenty items there. So I'm going to go through all of them from uh, new new people, new couples, all excited getting a brand new very first, or even young kids just getting their very first mortgage. Now that might work out all the way through to investments and tax implications and rates versus buyouts and investing in Canada and Canadian real estate. So peeps, if you're listening, we're going to cover the whole gamut here, <laughs> but we're going to start off with the newbies because I think the foundation needs to be laid for kind of understanding. And I think we can do that if we start talking about the, the newbies and how they sign up. So what do you think is the most important thing for a say young person who's just getting into their very first, um, say home or piece of real estate, whatever you prefer. What's the most important thing for them, do you think? So number one is, so number one is, number one, what is the plan over the next five years? 
how does this and how does this property that they want to buy, whether it be a condo, a townhouse or a house, how does it fit into the plan over the next five years based on the job they've got or the job they're hoping to get um, any of those any of those things that have an impact on their life. I mean, they're young. The chances of maybe getting headhunted to a job somewhere else, um, deciding to take a pivot in their jobs. I mean, there's any number of things that can happen for a young person that if thought about in a, ahead of time, the choices and decisions that can be made around who the mortgage lender is and the type of mortgage, those will change things. So we need to have those kinds of conversations with them. And then looking at, you know, first time home buyer plans, have they had a chance to even start saving, you know, in an RSP to draw from an RSP? Are parents or grandparents or siblings looking to give them a gift for down payment towards their first home? Or are parents, grandparents or siblings willing to co-sign to help them get into that home because they don't have enough credit history or, or maybe they've got student loans so their debt servicing is a little off. So there's different things we have to look at for those first time home buyers that can come into play to help make this happen. And what, what and who is willing to maybe participate and help to make it happen for them. Nice. I also, I wish that my parents had had this conversation with me when I first got out of high school and had, you know, those goals, dreams, ambitions were all over the map for me. They haven't changed at all. So, um, but being able to have the conversation of what if I go, what if somebody was like me and they went to university in Edmonton, they took a year off and moved to Ottawa and then they came back to Calgary and then they, but I knew at that time that real estate was the thing to buy. I just didn't kind of, I was going like, I'm all over the place. I don't know if I can afford a mortgage. I um, had roommates everywhere I went, even though we were in apartments, like it totally would have made sense to me to invest in something somewhere and either have, you know, roommates with me or to buy in Calgary at that time, which was super cheap then, would have been yeah. brilliant then. Um, what would you say to somebody like that? That's a really hard question to answer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it, you know what? It, and that's where it comes down to, you know, so number one is, is, is the consideration of, it, of real estate of an investment. Do they see real estate as an investment initially? And that even if they decide to move, it can continue to be this investment piece that now becomes a rental property and, and has that possibility for them. Now, not every property makes a good rental property. So that's where that understanding- Talk to me about what, that. How do, you, how do you know what does? Well, so you got to look at what, how much rent, if you, if you weren't living there, how much rent could you get for it? And what are your costs for, carrying costs for it that you have to worry about? You know, mortgage, taxes, insurance, condo fees, if it's a condo, you know, what uh, property management, if you have to have someone manage it for you because you're no longer in that city, or do you have family that will help you with managing it? Or like, how are you gonna, you know, maintenance? How do you account for these things? And what does this property look like if you end up not living in it? Now that doesn't always mean that it's a no-go, but it's a balancing point of understanding about could this prop, you know, based on what you're telling me, your plan is over the next five years, does the property that you're looking to purchase 
make sense if you're not living there. Because there's nothing worse than buying this property and you're living there and then you get headhunted or you've got this plan to go to Ottawa or go to France or whatever it is. And you put somebody in there and you now have to feed it $300, $500 a month to make it work. Um, how does that impact now wherever you're going and how your lifestyle and what you're living, wherever it is you're ending up and for the reason you're there. So that's part of that conversation and consideration is, is what does that future look like potentially, especially for younger people, you know, for people that maybe are a young family and they have kids and stuff, their, their chance of moving is maybe less. There's still a conversation to be had, but it's, there's some different parts of it. You know, how old are your kids? What are the, what, what about schooling for your kids? Are you okay with the schools that are in the area where you're wanting to live as far as being a consideration for you? Or, you know, is there a specific type of school that you want them to go to? So you need, you're thinking that you, you know, your kids are only one and two, but when they're five and six, you may want to move closer to this, this school that you want for them. There's all these different considerations that are, different based on a person's situation. I love that. Awesome questions. Thank you. And because I find that people like you have so much knowledge and the people that have never kind of looked into this industry is like, oh, I just gonna buy a house and I go and get a mortgage and I'm done, right? It's like, no, <laughs> there's so many different layers to this and so many different questions that need to be asked and considerations. So I'm loving this. So in... A lot of people also think that if I go to get a mortgage, the most important thing is the interest rate on it. And in my experience, that has been a disastrous way to look at mortgages. So what are some of the considerations that people need to look at other than just interest rates? Oh boy. Well, there's multiple terms to a mortgage. So there's the amortization length. Now, if it's a high ratio insured mortgage, first time home buyer, the maximum amortization is 25 years. There's no change in that. It could be lower potentially if they wanted, but maximum 25. If they yeah, got, I'll hold you right there. So when you say high insured, what do you mean by that? High ratio insured means less than 20% down. Mm -hmm. And that means it has to be insured, insured, a back end insured by CMHC, Sajin, or Canada Guarantee, um, which basically those people are guaranteeing the lender on your ability to continue to pay that mortgage. And should you default, they are going to insure the lender against that default. So that's what that means. And so those mortgages are, you know, kind of, that's the typical mortgage that first time home buyers typically get into. Now, there are people that do have 20% down saved up, and then they end up in the conventional mortgage pool, which means 20% down or more. And there's 25 or 30 year amortization options when you're conventional. So those, that's one set of the terms. The next is fixed rate versus variable rate. Which one fits better for you? What is your risk tolerance? What is your plan over the next five years? Because a variable rate has a three month interest payout penalty fixed rates typically come with some sort of interest rate differential calculation. And so that's where people run into those tens of thousands of dollars in payout penalties because they've got these fixed rate mortgages because they didn't understand 
the difference in in that. And that's where a person's plan. Now, the fact is 33% of Canadians break a five-year mortgage term. So because just on that fact alone, your consideration of who the lender is, how they calculate penalties, whether it's fixed or variable, should be a key consideration. Then there's other things like prepayment privileges. How much can you bump up and make an annual lump sum payment on your mortgage or a monthly increase in the mortgage? Can you do double up payments? Can you do a skip a payment if something comes up and you need to skip a payment on a mortgage, which means you kind of get a free month of where they where you only pay the interest, you don't pay any principal. Um, there's things such, such as that. And a couple of the ones that really get people in trouble or get them in the way, uh, one is called a bona fide sale clause. And what that means is, hey, we're going to give you this great interest rate, but you can't refinance within five years. You have to keep your mortgage with us at this mortgage rate because you, we will not let you refinance. The only way you can pay this mortgage out is if you sell to an independent third party. So that's a bona fide sale clause. Uh, some, of, some lenders also have um, a clause such as a um, payout penalty that's 3% of the mortgage balance. So they might not do an interest rate differential, but it's 3% of the mortgage balance, which actually in some cases ends up being still significantly less than what the banks charge. But that's certain things. And, and, and in some cases it's like, and this is where people, they fight to get the lowest rate. And it's like, well, yeah, I can get you the lowest rate, but here's the implication of that 0.05%. I can draw, yeah, we can go to that 0.05% lower on rate, but here's the implication of that. And that's what people often, they just get so focused on the rate that they forget about that. And they don't look at what is truly the implication of 0.05% on a mortgage rate over the five-year term of the mortgage and, 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 and what the restriction, that restriction could end up costing them should they actually end up breaking. And there is a 33 to 35% chance that they will break, even though they say, I don't plan to break my mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> some people never plan to break and then months later it's like well, <laughs> well <laughs> who knew that was going to happen COVID things happen you know um so many things can happen there's so many variety of things that happen you mm -hmm. know um you end up having children and a spouse decides to stay home and now you're down to one income um somebody gets injured and can no longer work and now you're down to to one income uh marital breakup now you're down. Now you're down to one income, and maybe having to place pay support payments or rely on support pay, whatever that happens to be, you know. So there's any number of things that you, you know. A pandemic happens, and you lose your income, you lose your job. Um, I mean, there's any number of things that unfortunately can happen, and it's considering those things that are possibly happening, making decisions so that should those things happen, how can you protect yourself um, in the best way possible by considering some of these different terms in mortgage? Not all mortgages are portable. That's another consideration. If you're, you know, if you're somebody, maybe you're in the military or you're in the RCMP or, or something like that, or maybe you're in a medical field or something, and the chances of you relocating or getting moved are high, 
Well, the consideration of what lender you should have your mortgage with is also another consider an important part. Um, you know, but also knowing that some people that are in those positions, those some of those people have some of the greatest uh, real estate portfolios out there too, because they've done some things strategically, knowing that that can happen to them. Right. Well, you've already been a plethora of information, and <laughs> and clearly. If somebody's going in to go and get a mortgage of any kind, it, I think it's a no-brainer at this point that they got to go and talk to you because it's just like, there's no way anybody can know all this stuff about, oh yeah, I just want to walk in and grab a mortgage. It's like, no, that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I, I mean, we don't just go, we don't go to our doctor and say, hey, I need hey, this drug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I need this drug. Um, just sign the sign the paper and give it to me. That's what I that's what I know I need and that's what I want. That's just not the case, you know. Like that's that's why we have trusted professionals that we rely on. We have our accountants. We, well, we, most people or many people have accountants that do their taxes because they understand that part of their life. Um, we have mechanics that work on our cars. Unless you're a mechanic yourself, you likely don't work on your own car. You don't do anything significant on your own car. You maybe change your oil, maybe you change your filter and fill your washer fluid and put air in your tires. But if you're not a mechanic, you likely don't have the tools and you don't have the access to all of the information and, and the suppliers to do what's best. And that's what's so important. Absolutely. And tax accountants are a whole other conversation than I yes. <laughs> because so many don't do it better than I do. And I'm like, you can't do your taxes better than I can. You can't be my tax accountant. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Absolutely. So is there still such a thing as an assumable mortgage? So yes. However, the difference is now mortgages are assumable with qualifying. And that's the biggest difference. You have to be able to qualify to assume a mortgage. So then the question becomes, why would you look to assume a mortgage? And there may be some instances or situations where that could possibly make sense. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that people don't realize with assumable mortgages is somebody's like, well, yeah, I'll get someone to assume my mortgage, is they don't know that they need to make sure that if they do have someone assuming their mortgage and that person has qualified through the lender to assume that mortgage, that they get a letter of clearance from the lender that the lender is no longer going to hold them responsible for any future potential default on that mortgage. Because if you don't get that, even though you went and got someone to assume your mortgage, you still ultimately end up responsible for it. If you don't get something that says from the lender that says, we qualified the people that are assuming your mortgage and we release you from liability, any future liability. That is crazy. So if you don't get that letter, you're, I'm assuming with a, a proper lawyer, you're off the, the deed. So you no longer own the house, but you're still financially responsible for the mortgage. Brutal. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. That would be horrific. So, wow. and, and that's why we don't see much for assume. I mean, we used to have back in the early 2000s, that's when we had assumable mortgages without qualifying. And that's where people, there are people out there that assume mortgages that if they walked away, the person who they assumed this mortgage from 20 years ago would be on the hook for it. Brutal. They didn't understand it. 
And that's why we don't we don't see much for assuming people wanting to assume mortgages right now is because of one, you have to qualify. Mm-hmm. And two, people understanding that if the lender's not willing to give them that clearance, why would they allow someone if you got to qualify? So why, you know, you can probably qualify than, for a better one. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? We may see the resurgence of assumable assumable mortgages in three to five years when we have people that have gotten mortgages at these great rates that we're at now. Um, and if mortgage rates are one to 2% higher than they are now, there might be people that are, that really want to assume a mortgage that is at 1.99 or 1.59. And that's the route they want to try to go. So we may see it. We may see a resurgence in it as we see um, interest rates increase. Cool. Are there any other kind of weird and bizarre mortgages like an assumable or um, do weird ones exist and you're not just going in and going, hey, I need a mortgage? Yeah. So, you know, like there's there's special programs like new to Canada. If you've been in Canada less than five years and um, can prove that you've paid rent for six months or 12 months and you have five or 10 percent down payment um, and you can prove that you have a you have a solid uh, permanent position, you can qualify for a mortgage without having to have all the established credit that that uh, comes with for people who aren't new to Canada. Um, business for self. Um, if, for example, let's say this one happens often, uh, engineers, IT tech, they were in an employed position as an employee and their employer said, you know what, we're now gonna change you to a contract a contract position and you're going to become essentially self-employed. And if you do that into a sole proprietorship, not a corporation, there's special programs that can be considered for people that had that happen and it's less than two years. Um, and they're in it, they've got this new sole proprietor business that hasn't been declared for two years, but they've had this consistent industry and so that would be a consideration of a special program, um, you know, a special flip programs through private lending for people that want to get into flipping houses. There's some specialized programs that we have access to for things such as that. Uh, and business for self-stated income. I make all this money, but I also declare all these expenses. And so I, you know, I don't look great for what I declare for income because of what I can de- deduct for expenses. So we have programs that are based on bank statement income from your business for stated income. Those are some of those special programs that the banks don't have access to and, and don't even touch um, in some cases. Awesome. So this, I think, is a good time to bring back the Smith Manure. What would be the advantage to making your, um, your mortgage tax deductible? Well. So in Canada, there's three things we know. We, we pay high taxes. We can't necessarily rely on government pensions for our future wealth. And we don't save much to build future wealth and retirement funds for ourselves. So the Smith maneuver, when you have 20% equity in your home or you're putting 20% down on your home, You can be set up with a proper re-advanceable mortgage, which means as you pay down the principal, you get a line of credit balance that becomes available to you. 
And without having to generate or earn more income or find a way to get more income to build wealth, you can use the principal pay down each month to invest in non-registered investments for building future wealth. And the interest on the money that you use to do that, the interest on that money is 100% tax deductible. And so it may not have huge impacts maybe in the first year or even two years, depending on how much you're paying down your mortgage. But it's not just about paying down the mortgage and the tax deduction. It's also about the compounding investment, return on investment that you get from having made those investments that helps build your future wealth exponentially from day one. And that's, the, that's where in the power lies in, in the two, in twofold. Now, as you start to convert your mortgage and you have uh, interest deductions of maybe it's $4,000 a year, then $8,000 a year, that lowers your income by that amount. So if you're in a 40% tax bracket and you can lower your income by $4,000 a year, that's a $1,000 tax return. And then you can take that $1,000 and put it against the mortgage, put it in an investment, treat yourself to something great because you've done something smart. Um, you know, you have, you get to choose what you do with that tax return. So is that, um, I've, I've heard of the concept, but I don't quite understand the concept. So if I'm asking you dumb questions, that's awesome because yeah, <laughs> that's the right ones. Um, so is that basically taking your mortgage or your house as an asset and putting it into your business or how does it become a tax deduction? It becomes a tax. So in, I'll go back to the tax law first. So the tax law states that any interest paid to earn income is tax deductible. So if you take money from your resident, take equity from your residence in the form of a HELOC or through a refinance, and you put that money into a non-registered investment with the, which has the intent to earn income, or it could be into a corporation with the okay. intent to earn income from your corporation, because okay. that, that's a non-registered investment, then the interest you pay on the money that you did that with becomes 100% tax deductible. So it doesn't have to be in your business. So it if you did it in a non-registered investment, such as stock, bond, mutual fund, annuity, segregated fund, private equities, real estate, uh, real real estate investment trust, anything, just basically no RSPs, no TFSAs. Right. So what implication might that have if somebody dies, say? Would there be, would it be better or worse to have it in there? Well, the implication is the same as whether you do nothing and somebody dies, right? It's still, it's a mortgage on your property. The difference being that what happens is people often use lines of credit on their home for consumable goods. They go buy a car, they go buy that new TV, they go, they, they put new kitchen in their house, which is, a, you know, maybe can be out, but it's a consumable. There's no, you don't get the tax deductibility from it. So if you take $50,000 from this pool of equity, now it is secured against your house, but now you've got $50,000 of investment that's also a return on investment. Should you ever feel that necessity or have the necessity 
to get rid of that $50,000, you have this investment that you can cash out of to then pay that down. Right. Which is different than consumable. You go and buy a $50,000 car, you draw it off the lot, now it's worth 40. You can't sell the car and pay off the 50. Right. So it, so it, is there any difference between just taking 50 grand off your mortgage and putting it into an investment? So that's, so if you, well, it depends on how you have to have the right mortgage product right. to do the Smith maneuver correctly. And that's where people get into trouble or make mistakes is they don't, one, they don't know if they have the right mortgage product that they mm -hmm. currently. So we take a look at that to see, do they have the right mortgage product? And then number two is they need to understand how to do it correctly, because if you don't do it correctly, that's where people end up into problems with audits. They get audited and they didn't do it correctly because they didn't have the guidance of a certified professional to help them make sure that they understood this. You know, you, you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do this. And this is how you do it. This is how you move the money. This is how you make sure that when you move the money, you've got the tax deductible for the tax deductibility of it. And that's what's important. Awesome. And if somebody were to say have to declare bankruptcy, does that affect the um, the their house? Because my understanding too is if they're if somebody claims bankruptcy, that in certain cases it doesn't affect their house, or is that still the case? Yeah, that's still the case. It, it, if you declare bankruptcy, it doesn't necessarily have to impact the house. Um, every, you know, again, that's a unique situation to someone on, in and of themselves. And as to why are they declaring bankruptcy? What do they have for assets? Because the bank's going to look at your, what assets do you have? Well, you've got, got $75,000 worth of assets and you've used $75,000 from your home to buy those assets. Well, what happens to those assets when you declare bankruptcy? Because, you know, and so there's is a it whole, an asset or is it your house? <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah. whole, well, there's a whole, there's a whole consideration. The bankruptcy person's going to take, the uh, judge is going to take a look at in determining how they would set up your bankruptcy. So with the goal is to not get there. Bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. the Clearly. Is not get there. Goal is to make these assets work for you so that you have, uh, assets and a positive net worth and hopefully a fantastically positive net worth. Awesome, good answer, thank you. Um, loving it. And I think we covered all of the questions I had except for investing in Canada. So if we have Americans or um, somebody not Canadian listening to the podcast, what kind of things can they do? <laughs> Why you'd invest in Canadian real estate when you can invest in American real estate, I don't know, but what might be some of the advantages to that and how could they go about doing that? Well, so, so any foreigner investing in Canada, they require 35% down payment to invest in Canada. Now, one of the reasons why other countries and billions of dollars a year come and invest in Canada is because we have considered the most stable banking system in the world. So that's number one. Um, our real estate is considered to be some of the most stable in the world. When you look at what happened in the US in 2008, their banking system collapsed, housing in major cities completely collapsed. And now they've managed to make some recovery on that in most cases, in some cases, not so much. And that's why 
that's why people invest in Canada. Now, are there opportunity? Are there opportunities that are great in the U.S.? Absolutely. Are there opportunities that are great in Canada? Absolutely. But that's where having I'm a backstop to my investors when they bring a deal to me, and I look at is this what is their plan and is this property a good fit for their portfolio and their cash flow? If a property is going to be a negative cash flowing property, my question is going to be, well, why? Why are you wanting to buy a negative cash flowing property? Explain to me the reason why this is a good investment. And if they have, if they can sell me on why it is, then okay, well, I mean, I'm gonna do what the client wants me to do, but I wanna make sure also that they realizing the implication of buying something that's you know negative cash flow. Awesome. Uh, because I know just from the prices in Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, it's like, I guess my assumption was that they're doing it for the purpose of increasing, you know, of buying a buy low, sell high. But there are other opportunities, I guess, to buy in Canada. Do we have the same um, invest to immigrate kind of rules and regulations that that we have going to the States or are there other reasons why somebody would want to have a negative return investment? Yeah. Typically if someone, someone's buying something and they, they're willing, they're willing to take a negative return on investment. It's typically because of a tax reason they, they've got, you know, they're earning a certain amount of income and they need something that's negative cash flow that's going to drop their tax to bullet from, from one level to another level. And that's mm -hmm. going to save them significantly more than what they, what they will lose on that investment. That would be a, but those are very rare. It's very right. rare instances where those happen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there are still great cash flowing opportunities in Calgary and Edmonton um, more so in Alberta and Saskatchewan and maybe even Manitoba than you know, parts of Ontario and BC because of how prices have, have shot up in those areas. Again, with, with enough down payment, anything can cash flow is, is kind of the <laughs> typical line. So, so, you know, so that's why you do see foreign investors buying in Toronto and, and Vancouver, maybe more is because of that 35% down payment requirement. Well, for them, it, that can make those properties cash flow easier than trying to do it with 20% down. Awesome. So talk to me about the, the real estate investment world in, in Alberta, particularly in Calgary, just because that's fun. What's going yeah. on and, and what's a good opportunity? So the, be the best so the best opportunities in Calgary are within legally suited properties um, for investors to be able to buy those and have the multiple cash flow sources. Because if you buy if you buy a legally suited property or you buy a property that has an illegal suite and then legalize it, you've got two sources of income from the main floor and the basement suite, as an example, or maybe it's a garage suite. That's another possibility. And then if you've got that detached garage, well, you have the chance of maybe also your tenant, not all tenants necessarily want a garage, but you have some tenants that do. So you could also generate some extra income from that garage, or maybe you have uh, also the ability to have space where they could park a trader. Maybe you have tenants that have a trailer. So 
that could be another option for generating some additional income is by allowing them to park their trailer on there. So there's different ways to help improve cash flows, but there's still great opportunity. But those are the suited properties are generally the best opportunity in Calgary right now um, mm -hmm. for generating cash. Awesome. And are the regulations such that somebody could buy a, a house that needs renovating that doesn't have two suites right now that could have two suites so that when they renovate, they build in those two suites and, and make it uh, a positive generating yeah. asset? Yeah. And so there's and the secondary suite, the secondary suite um, bylaws in Calgary have shifted a whole bunch um, over the past nine years. Now, not so much since 2018, April of 2018 was kind of the last change. Um, I was actually part of that as a public private citizen, I was part of that process in consultation with some of those things that happened. And so right now, until December 31st of 2021, if you buy a property with an illegal suite that was built prior to April of 2018, you can legalize that suite under the fire regulations, under the fire code, which eliminates the need to have two furnaces or two heat sources in the property. So that generally costs much less expensive to legalize the suite. So in that case, you have to have your submission in to legalize the suite before December 31st, 2021. Now, if you're buying something that, like you mentioned, a renovation to add a new suite, that falls under the Alberta Building Code. And depending, you have to look at your land use. And depending on your land use, that dictates what the process is. And so if you have an RC2 lot or something like that, then the process is quite simple and quite easy to get approval. If it's RC1 or it has a one in it of some kind, the process is slightly different, slightly longer, and, and there's some different things that have to happen for you to be able to get that permission to be able to add that secondary suite. Awesome. So that sounds like a fantastic opportunity for, um, for, for real estate investors and people that are looking to get into real estate as investment. Yeah, and, and some people, you know, um, first-time home buyers can use, you know, the, I'm seeing this more now where first-time home buyers are buying a property with a legal suite because it's a mortgage helper, but it's also a mortgage qualifying helper. Because if it's a legal suite, we can use the income from that legal suite to help them in qualifying for their financing. Awesome. That is brilliant. So it increases the amount of mortgage they can qualify for compared to just their income alone. That's awesome. Cool. So are there any questions about mortgages that I should have asked you that I haven't? <laughs> oh, <laughs> fixed versus variable. What do I do? That's probably, that's one of the ones that comes up. What do I do? Fixed versus variable. Well, I can tell you that right now, um, variable rates are looking pretty good at prime minus 1.25%. So that rate of 1.20% from most lenders, from some lenders right now, that compared to fixed rates of 1.74% is the best fixed rate right now. Most lenders are in that 1.99% range. Uh, so that variable rate is pretty favorable. You can counter off a lot of um, prime lending rate increases on the variable rate before you would 
you know, exceed your, your mortgage rate on the fixed rate. But again, it boils down to risk. What, right. what is your risk tolerance for taking that into consideration? That's so give us an example of a Cinderella story, if you have one. Um, to somebody that was having a hard time that all of a sudden they met you and it was easy or they were broke and they went into riches because of all the stuff that you made for them, anything at all. Yeah, so probably, so one of the most common ones that uh, is most satisfying to me is when someone comes to me and they go, we need to refinance to reconfigure, save on our mortgage, reconfigure our debts, do some, you know, maybe consolidate some debts and setting out the plan for them with the refinance and paying out the right debts first so that they lowered their payments by $1,000 a month combined with the things we did initially. And then showing them how to use that $1,000 to pay down debt accelerated for the, within their plan, rather than taking that $1,000 and consuming it. Because they obviously could afford what they were paying because they were paying them, but boy, their cash flows were tight. And they just didn't like where that was heading. So just by rejigging it, we improved their cash flow by $1,000 a month. They we use that to accelerate the pay down on the next most expensive or high interest debt so that we could start and then just rolling it over into the next debts. And, and, and being able to continue that you're always, that whatever that initial savings went, that's what you want to use. Now, if you pay off another debt, if you decide you don't, want to roll that $300 a month payment into what you're going to do to pay down the next one. Okay. You want to use it to create some additional savings. That's fine. But we've got to have that plan. And when you have that plan in place and people do it and all of a sudden in 18 or 24 months, they, they come back and they go, we've paid off all our debt or we've only got this much debt left. We're so glad that we did it. That's, that's when it's, Nice. So Consumer debt bad, investment debt good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's you know, you know, the, some of those other satisfying ones are people that come and they go, you know, we couldn't qualify at the bank, and I talk to them and I find out their situation, and they tell me they have kids and they receive child tax benefit, and I go, oh, well, we can use your child tax benefit as part of qualifying for a mortgage with most lenders. They go, wow. really? We didn't know that. We get a thousand dollars a month in child tax benefit. Well, that thousand dollars a month in child tax benefit, that's going to help them Huge. with like a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars worth of mortgage qualifying. Wow, that's awesome. You know, like there's it's you know some significant things that can happen when with just understanding a full story and situation. Nice. So you've mentioned a couple of them, but what are some other stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now? And they're thinking, oh my God, Keith, I need you so badly right now. So some of the roadblocks people might have, number one is their business for self and they're having trouble qualifying for a mortgage or a refinance. Mm -hmm. We need to have a conversation. There's some lenders that, there's some very specific lenders with some very specific different guidelines that can work or somebody that's got very minimal income, but maybe high net worth, and they're getting, a, they're getting income, their income is based on investment returns right now. And that's where most of their income is coming from. But we have you know, some special net worth lending programs that can be looked at to help them qualify for financing. Uh, 
um, done a few of a few of those of different, you know, most re more recently, uh, and, and that's and some of that is because of what's happened in COVID. They had investments, they got laid off because of COVID, and now their income is from their investments, and that's what we've had to use. So, so those are some of the things, some of the situations people might have going through a divorce, going through a divorce, and one of the spouses wants to buy buy out or take and clear the mortgage off from being in both names. Um, we have, there's specific special spousal buyout programs for that. Um, a lot of people don't know that they can, re, they can basically purchase the property from the spousal relationship, marital relationship to themselves and still be able to do it at a high ratio mortgage, um, wow. up to 95%. Up to 95%, yeah. holy. Yeah. And so, and generally what they say is we'll go up to 95% based on what percentage of equity in the property is needed to pay off debt and pay off the, and pay out the ex-spouse. Wow. That is awesome. So I I have loved this. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Clearly I've taken all your time. Uh, I know that our listeners are going to want more from you. So how do they start their journey with you? Yeah, so they can start by emailing me, keith at enrichmortgage.ca. And uh, I, I will send them the link to my calendar so we can schedule a, an initial discovery call to find out a little bit more about their situation and how it is that we can best help them to get them moving forward to qualifying for a mortgage. Awesome. Or going the Smith maneuver or whatever <laughs> it might happen to be. Fantastic. So peeps, if you're driving right now, just go to awarenessstrategies.com slash blog, and we'll have all of Keith's information there. Just search on Keith or Mortgage Broker or Smith Maneuver or whatever you remember, the show will have it in there for you. Or if you're on iTunes or otherwise, just scroll down and we'll have those in the show notes for you. Awesome. So before I let you go, I have to know, at what point in your life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to become an entrepreneur? Oh, boy. You know what? I probably, I probably knew it um, 30 years ago. And the reason I say, and did I know it then? I didn't know it then. But when I look back on it now and I look at things that I did 30 years ago, actually, I could even probably go back and say from the time I was nine or 10. And, and here's a little story about me that's a little bit a little bit crazy, but here's what happened when I was nine or 10 and why I, that's why I would say this. I had a paper route and I delivered papers. And so at Christmas one year, I decided that just because of how I grew up and what my parents had taught me, I decided that each person that I was a client customer, I would ring on their door, ring their doorbell, hand them their paper and wish them a Merry Christmas. That was the soul in my head. That's what I was doing. Well, as I did this and I started doing this on the first five or 10 houses, all of a sudden it was like, oh, uh, just a second. Let me give you a, let me give you a little something. Two bucks, a buck, five bucks. All of a sudden I started getting this money. And I'm like, oh, cash. All right, well, I'm gonna keep doing this. So my paper route normally took me like 45 minutes, maybe an hour in the winter to do. My parents were freaking out because I was up to almost two hours and I wasn't home yet. My paper route was right close to my home, like across the street from my home. It wasn't a very big area, 
but I was like almost two hours. They came out looking for me. Like, oh. what is taking you so long? Oh, one lady invited, she was baking fresh cinnamon buns. She invited <laughs> me to have hot chocolate and a cinnamon bun. So I went in and had a hot chocolate and a cinnamon. My parents knew even know these people and I knew them from, you know, from, and stuff. But I, I ended up, I ended up making like $80 that year in like tips that I hadn't counted on. I told my buddy about it. He had a paper route too. He went and I, he only made like 30 bucks. He was so mad. <laughs> you know, and so I did that. And then I had my paper route for another one or two years after that. And I did it each year after that as well. You know, so that's kind of where my first entrepreneur experience was, was there. And then, you know, I became a basketball referee when I was, when I was 19. And when I did that, that, you know, really is, an entrepreneurial job. You control it. You control your schedule somewhat. You're making some money. You're doing something completely different, and and it, you have to do specialized training to specialize in it because there's not everybody willing to do it. And so that was, you know, those those were my first kind of inklings that I was entrepreneur minded. Those are awesome. I think that's one of the best entrepreneurial stories I've ever heard. It's like, hey, how you doing? Oh, have money, have cookies. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Yay." laughs> that, that worked really well. I think I'll do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My parents weren't so keen on it when they couldn't find me. You know, they were driving around the block and they saw my sled with the bags and I was nowhere to be seen. Well I was in the house having hot chocolate and cinnamon buns. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you, Keith. So any last words for a peeps? You know what? I'll I always just say this, you don't know what you don't know. So don't be afraid to ask the question. And, and that's what I'm, I'm here to answer questions. Even if we don't end up doing business together, if there's something I can do that can help you see something differently, that's going to make an impact on how you change and live your life going forward, that maybe makes an, uh, financial help you create a financial life by design, then that's fantastic. You know, I, I just, I want to see people live to into their future and not have it just happen to them. Nice. I love that. Financial life by design. That's a new moniker and tagline. It's going to be used everywhere. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Keith. And this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you so much for being here with us today. If you know anyone who would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic that you'd like me to discuss, reach out to me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-G. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.